The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, welcome. I'm Suzanne Phillips, and thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live today. I think you're going to find today's show very useful, because whether you struggle with a fear of flying, a tendency to fill your days with worry, or a sense of despondency that arrives with the holidays, you are not alone. And there are ways to manage these feelings. You'll be hearing about these from our guest and expert, Dr. Seth Gillahan. He'll be discussing his new book, Retrain the Brain, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in Seven Weeks, a workbook for managing depression and anxiety. Dr. Gillahan is a psychologist who specializes in cognitive behavioral and mindfulness-based treatments for anxiety, depression, insomnia, and other conditions. He is co-author with Janet Singer of Overcoming OCD, A Journey to Recovery. In fact, Dr. Gillahan was on a former show of mine discussing that book. It's a terrific book. He's a clinical assistant professor of psychology in the psychiatry department of the University of Pennsylvania and a fellow of the Center for Neuroscience and Society at Penn. Dr. Seth Gillingham, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thank you, Suzanne. It's great to be back with you. Okay. Now, let's start. What made you decide to do a workbook for retraining the brain to manage anxiety and depression? Well, for as long as I've been doing CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, I, I was struck by by how how few people actually have access to someone who does this kind of therapy, you know, either because there are there are a lot of parts of the country where um, it's hard to find someone you know, who does CBT, mm-hmm. um, you know, someone who's close by. I think we take for granted here, and you know, our area where I am, there are uh, lots of therapists who do CBT, um, but in parts of the of the country or uh, other parts of the world, it's just really not as available and. Or, you know, a person can't afford the therapy because, um, because it's not covered by their insurance or, or other reasons. And, I mean, you know, to be honest, therapy can be expensive. So, uh, so this was a way I was hoping to, to bring this type of treatment that's been shown to be really effective for anxiety and depression and other kinds of things to bring it into the hands of more people who need it. And so for, I guess, 
I guess about the uh, the cost of a copay. Uh, you know, person uh-huh. can have can have access uh-huh. to to the tools. You know, and and also can do it on their own time. You know, there's flexibility mm-hmm. and and uh, no travel time involved with uh, with doing a self directed workbook. And it's very very specific. Um, Let's help our listeners understand when we say CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, what exactly is that? Yeah, it's an important question. So the the way I like to introduce it is that it, it involves a way of thinking about the relation among our, our feelings, our thoughts, and our behaviors, and and how those three elements relate to each other. So there's a, a triangle you'll see throughout the book and, and in other, I didn't, I didn't Invent, uh, invent that triangle. Um, it's a way that we tend, to, as cognitive behavioral therapists, to think about this, uh, these relationships. And it's a really useful way for, uh, for understanding the, the, the kinds of, of habits that we can build that can, can help to raise our mood, to, uh, to manage our anxiety, by really focusing on, on thoughts that might be serving us uh, not that well and seeing if we can change some of those thoughts in a, in a useful direction and also looking at behaviors that, that might be influencing uh, our feelings and our thoughts and in changing behavior patterns. So it, it tends to be a short-term treatment. Uh, there, are, there are lots of research studies showing that it's effective, so it's uh, considered an evidence-based treatment. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's very collaborative. It, um, it doesn't assume a sort of top-down. Let me impart to you what you what you need to know. But it um, but it but it it really is about meeting as equals and uh, and working together to help get the person to a better place. Mm. And when just to clarify for our listeners, so you're saying what we think affects how we feel, and that affects what we do, or what we do might affect how we think. Mm-hmm. Or what we don't do, what we don't do, if I, if I just can't do anything, I start to think I'm kind of a loser, and then I start to feel depressed. So the, the thinking, the feeling, the behavior, all kind of connect in then many different interactive ways. That's right, exactly. So if you picture that, that triangle with the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors at each of the corners of the triangle, we, we put double-headed arrows between each of them to show this this, you know, the relationship goes in both directions. Everything affects everything else within the triangle. So by the time a person comes to see someone like me, most of the time those, those elements are, are kind of conspiring against the person. So, so they're feeding each other in, in a sort of negative spiral. And our, our job is to first understand what's going on and then to start to untangle things and help a person to, to make some changes that can get those those three things working together, so they're actually supporting the person instead of working against the person. Okay, can you give us an example of um, the person who comes to your office and how those feelings, behaviors, and thoughts are conspiring, mm-hmm. and how you separate them out as a first step? Yeah, yeah, I think it's useful to tie it to something a little more concrete. Um, yeah, the the person that comes to mind, someone I saw a number of years ago, this was a a young woman. She was in her first. Uh, real uh, professional job. She was very uh, bright, talented, competent, and and from what she told me, had been very confident earlier in her life. And she had found herself in this this very high pressure uh, first job with uh, basically a by reputation an impossible boss. And 
through through circumstances that that really sounded like they were not her fault. Things just didn't go well at all <clears throat> in that job. She took a lot of abuse from this boss and and really took a beating in how she she saw herself, how she felt about herself. And so uh, so she started to her mood started to drop. She started to somewhat predictably start to think kind of crummy things about herself, like that she wasn't competent, that she was. She'd been fooling everyone all along. That she was, uh, that she was some kind of a, a loser. That she she didn't have any worth, and and those those beliefs about herself and the way she was feeling actually made it hard to take care of what she needed to do at work. So mm-hmm. she was having a hard time meeting deadlines. She was having a hard time um, you know, responding to emails, and actually started to avoid emails from her boss. Which of course then he had something real to criticize her for on top of, of all right. the, you know, the un, unfair things. And so, so when she came to me, she really was in uh, just a rough place, just seeing herself as someone who wasn't capable of anything. She had fallen into behavior patterns that were supporting that belief, and, and she was quite depressed. And so, so our, our first job was really to start to understand what was going on with those elements to try to, yeah, I guess a lot of what's helpful with a CBT approach is, by breaking things down, it can make them feel more manageable. Because it yes. can feel, you know, I come in, it's like I've got all these problems, like everything is going badly, and I don't even understand exactly what, what's going on. It's just everything seems wrong. Right, right. Instead of just a global feeling of I'm not okay and I hate my job, by pulling apart each of the elements from the feeling to the thought and where that thought um, originated and what her behavior of now, you know, not even getting her deadlines done, um, starts to at least give you an approach step because otherwise it's just an overwhelming feeling. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And and I like what you said about you know, starting to understand the, the where these thoughts originate from because the the when, when when this woman came to me, she didn't even recognize that she was having thoughts about herself. Mm. that were interpretations of her experience and were a, a biased way of seeing herself. She just thought she was seeing herself as she was, like mm. loser, like, like just like we might say, well, the sky is blue, the grass is green, I'm a worthless person. All these things mm. just felt to her like observations of truths. And to identify it as, okay, so you're telling yourself that, that, you're, a, that you're, you're worthless as a human being. To recognize that, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I am telling myself that. And to identify it as something I'm telling myself at least gives the, the possibility of starting to question that thought. Like, well, maybe maybe I'm worthless, but, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Well, would she have said maybe not, or is that what you invited? You know, <clears throat> by the time she was able to identify the thought, she was, she was able to pretty quickly start to question them and start to say, you know, but... I didn't used to think that way, and it and it's sort of weird that I've I've let this one situation mm-hmm. determine as, as as you said a, a minute ago to to provide a kind of global assessment of my worth rather than saying mm-hmm. I'm having a tough time in this job. I've been through a really difficult past year. Maybe that doesn't mean that I'm an entirely worthless person. So mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of it, I mean, definitely it, it, there's some some prompting on my part and some, you know, trying to gently lead a person to, to examine some of these things. Uh, but a lot of it starts to happen just by identifying thoughts as thoughts 
and then starting to look at the evidence together. I think at one point in the book you say, and I agree with this, that even just writing down the Mm -hmm. thoughts that you keep having changes your relationship with the thought and gives you a little distance to start to question it. Yes. Yes. No, I think that's exactly right. I think just starting to slow things down a little bit because these things can, we get patterned, you know, so so quickly and easily to go from, from something happens to an interpretation that we don't notice to feeling awful, and then I'm, I just feel like I'm down in, you know, stuck in this muck, and I didn't even realize what happened. So, so as you said, starting to slow that process down and be able to, to, to analyze it gives us, gives us some opportunities to um, put the brakes on. <laughs> and once she could start to question, well, I didn't always feel like this, where did her next step go? To the behavior, to the feeling? Mm. So we, you know, it, <clears throat> with her, um, with her situation and, and, and in the book um, as well, but in, in general, we start with behavior. We start with, um, with trying to um, do some things to help the person do more things in her life that will, that will give her a sense of, of reward um, and make her feel a little more, a little more um, uh, content. So, so either things that provide some sense of enjoyment or a feeling of satisfaction. She was actually mm-hmm. doing very little in her life of, of either of those. Her life had become quite bleak, so she was having a hard time taking care of stuff at work. She also started to tell herself and just believe that, uh, well, I'm not doing things at work, so I don't deserve to enjoy my life. So right. If I'm calling out sick, I'm not really sick. I just don't feel like I can, can face work today. Then I'm, I'm not allowed to do anything enjoyable. I just have to basically stay in bed all day or maybe watch uh, you know, really unfulfilling TV or something. Um, so so it started with... I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, so it's interesting in the book, just for our listeners to know, whereas the first week you're really going to talk write down your goals and the problems and and some of your strengths and all kinds of things about yourself. Interesting, Seth invites you to get back to life. Not go back, not, not start looking at your negative behaviors, but go back to the rewarding behaviors that all of us tend to put down when we start to feel bad about ourselves. That's right. Yeah, and it, it's hard to overstate how important that is to get back to things that, that feed us because... Again, when someone when someone comes and starts therapy, a lot of times they've reached a, a point where they just they have very very little left in the tank, so to speak. And, right. And there's got to be a fuel for this work, and 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 some of that can come from you know from the relationship or from a desire to get better. But but really to sustain that work, it has to come from from positive uh, things in our lives, positive activities, positive um, interactions with other people. Feeling like I like remembering that I'm good at, at things that I have um, that I have the ability to take care of things and uh, and starting to do those those things uh, early on then uh, you know it'll, it'll continue throughout the treatment and, and ideally throughout a person's life but um, but we certainly start there again to um, to uh, to provide a foundation to build on. 
Well, it, it's funny because even in my work with people, when everything seems bleak and I ask them about music that they love and how often they play it, often they realize they have not listened to music in a long time or they haven't played the piano, which they're very good at in a long time. So it's almost like when we're in so much pain, sometimes we forget who we are and even what our talents are. I know. Isn't that something? To even yeah. Something as simple as music and... Um, and recognizing that and, and coming back to it and realizing that there is, um, that, that at least in that moment, that, that it's possible to have some joy. Well, one of the things your book and the order of the weeks is letting people know is we don't have to solve the problem before you can start doing something enjoyable. We can do that right now, and we're going to keep on working on the problem, but you're allowed. Mm. <laughs> you're allowed, you know, you're allowed yeah. to enjoy life, even if we didn't deal with you and the boss yet. <laughs> That's right. And, and if it makes it easier for people, sometimes you might even frame it as it's your job to enjoy life. Like, okay. you know, this is your assignment. You have to, I mean, you know, maybe being a little bit playful about it, but, um, but being serious about it. Like, you know, having, having fun is, is serious business just in terms of, of keeping, us, um, keeping us well, letting us do, do anything else in life. For sure. You know, we're going to have to take a brief break, um, and then we're going to come back and continue looking at this journey of seven weeks to managing depression and anxiety. You're listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking with Dr. Seth Gillahan. His latest book, Retrain Your Brain, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in Seven Weeks, a workbook for managing depression and anxiety. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you are seeking more confidence, it is time to feel good naked. That's the name of the radio show hosted by Laura Redmond. Each week, Laura and her guest experts are here to help you be you. In order to be truly successful and happy, you need self-confidence, self-love, and self-respect. Feel Good Naked Radio will teach you how to embrace these qualities and make your life more fulfilling and meaningful. Listen live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be proud of who you really are from the inside out. Are you a pet parent? If so, you'll want to stay up to date on the latest tech gadgets and advances for your canine or feline friend. With a ton of apps, websites, tech toys, and more, you'll want to be in the know when it comes to the real treasures and the duds. For that information, listen for Pet Lover Geek with host Lorian Clemens. We test and discuss what's hot and what's not on the pet front, so you'll be better informed. Tune in Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? 
live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Hi, welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Silk. Give the hand his latest book, Retrain Your Brain, Managing Anxiety and Depression with Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in a workbook that you can actually use on your own in concert with a therapist from many different backgrounds. So we were talking, Dr. Gillahan had given a case of a young lady who had such a terrible boss that before long, she not only believed that she was worthless, she was acting into that feeling deadlines, etc. And we had just been talking about one of the important steps, it's week two in this book, is really getting back to life. And the idea that just doing things you enjoy refuels you and often helps you along this journey. And I mentioned to Dr. Gillahan, well, I've had patients come back and say, okay, I joined the YMCA and I'm playing the piano but I still feel anxious or I still feel depressed. And so, Seth, I was wondering, where does that type of, um, where do we get more momentum if that's the situation? Right. So I, I would first, as a therapist, make sure that the activities the person was doing were actually based on her values, the things that were, were important to her and that, that uh, would, would tend to help, help her feel well. Sometimes if, if we take something off the shelf, or maybe the person thinks, well, here's something that I should do. Um, That's but true. Really it's, yeah, it's, maybe it's not what the person actually needs at that time. It's not really coming from them. So, so I'd, want to, I'd want to check that out. If, if, if all that seems fine, like, like they're on the right track behavior-wise, then you know, I definitely want, to, want them to continue with those things. But then you know, we usually move into looking at a person's thoughts, you know, the, the kinds of things we're telling ourselves. And... Um, and and a good bit of work really is is spent. I mean, a whole you know chapter in the book is devoted to this, and and significant time is spent in session, just starting to figure out what those thoughts are. Because again, it's it's easy to miss them, and they they usually don't announce themselves. They don't say, "Here's a here's a really negative thought about yourself." And this probably isn't true. There's no preface to it. It just comes as as an assumption, or doesn't even we don't even recognize we had we've had a thought. We we feel like something happens and I feel lousy and that's just I feel lousy because of this thing that happened. We don't recognize the thought, the interpretation that's between those two. So, you know, this this uh, this woman I was describing, you know, when, when something uh, difficult or challenging would happen at work, she'd feel this enormous sense of, of uh, deflation and she'd feel completely dispirited and, you know, um, and feel like she was completely worthless, but she wasn't, she wasn't recognizing that, uh, the thought process that was involved. So we spent a lot of mm-hmm. time figuring out what, what those thoughts were, and, um, and then you know, taking a good look at the evidence for, for and against the thoughts. Not with, it's not this kind of uh, power of positive thinking 
approach where it's just think happy thoughts. But um, right. but really, let's let's be uh, kind of scientific about this. Let's see, you know, is it actually the case that you always mess up at work? Like, you know, is is there were there times when you didn't mess up at work? And for this person, there were lots and lots of examples. Uh, most examples. Mm-hmm. Her behavior, she was doing quite well at work. Um, so, we, you know, I, I don't want a person to feel like she has to, to kind of trick herself or, um, or you know, look at the world through, through rose-colored glasses in this kind of false way because we're, we're going to see through it. Right? We're not going to buy it. We're going to recognize that we're, that we're trying right. to, to, to fool ourselves. Now, very often <clears throat> people have the but. So they'll say, if one were to ask, how do other people at work see you? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she said, oh, most see me okay, but mm-hmm. this person and this person, or I did I did fairly well on most of the accounts I'm responsible for, but I messed mm-hmm. up. And all of us tend to get riveted, and when we're depressed or anxious, even more so, on the negative piece, Seth. Yes. Yeah. So yes. where do we go? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the but, it's such a, it's a small... And an important word, and, and that the and there is intentional. We, we we can often use the but to negate the the first thing that we said, right? Most most people think I'm doing well at work, but I know that I'm right. messing up, right? And so the first part doesn't even count. And so if we can we can even just on a purely linguistic level, if we can can start to think of of an and there, like I I'm a uh, I'm a competent worker, and I've been having a hard time lately. Both those things are true. We can start to get out of that that negating. Oh, okay. So if someone were using the workbook and writing, you know, um, I'm a competent um, or uh, I mess up a lot and I'm creative in certain areas, we we offset at least rather than condemn. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. So we can hold both of those things as they're both bits of evidence. One doesn't mm-hmm. cancel the other. For this particular person, I think the the but that was that stood out the most for her was she could recognize that if if anybody else were in her position, she would have an easy time understanding what was going on and you know kind of mm-hmm. a break and and thinking really well of the person. But in her language, for her, she just couldn't couldn't have the the same level of of compassion and understanding for herself. Mm, that self-compassion is a big piece of this. Huge. I mean, the the, the biggest. I mean, the, the biggest piece so often. But for this, but for this particular young woman, it 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 was absolutely the the core of, of what we were dealing with. Just the ability to actually be friendly toward herself, to see herself as someone worth befriending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, was she able? to start to move with this? Was she able to see how compassionate she was to other people, but yes. not to herself? Yes, and it was, it was so exciting to see in, in the first um, probably four or five sessions what, what, uh, what a change, even within a session, there would be from you know, uh, being really down, being you know, in tears, and just starting to identify, okay, let's, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's take a look at, at what happened. What did you tell yourself about it? What did you believe about yourself? And, and then together starting to question some of those things and just seeing the, uh, the change come over her, her face would brighten. I would feel, it would feel like her confidence was returning. And then 
she would go out into the world and get get hit with something else, and often by, within the same day, she would find herself back in the same place. Mm-hmm. So, so there was this real. Um, uh, they were not not false starts because it was all part of the process, and they were all steps along the way. But the the insight that she had, the realization, the um, it made it felt like a complete shift would happen in session. That was not a once and for all kind of thing. It was not like okay, now I'm good, because then she would go out and get tested and get tried again, and and would come back with, wow, all right, I know we talked about this last week, but I really kind of got knocked knocked off um, that course, and we would. We would come back, and so it was this process of, of coming back and coming back um, over and over. And there were times where she would actually miss sessions because she was feeling so bad that mm. she wouldn't be able to, um, to even get herself to come in. Um, so, so I, I mean, I, I share this, this part of it just to say that the, um, sometimes when we have a moment of insight, we can, can, can be great, it can be liberating in a way. We can feel like, okay, I don't have to... I don't have to be bound by these thoughts anymore. And then if we slide back into old habits, it's easy to, to feel doubly bad about ourselves. Like, well, what am I doing now? And I'm just letting my thoughts beat up on me, and, and now I'm really worthless because I can't even control these thoughts. So recognizing that, that breaking these habits takes time and it takes practice. Well, I like the way you say practice because if I'm listening now, if I'm one of our listeners, I might be thinking, oh, wow, uh, what if I get to this part in the book and like your your lady... I I just start to think I was having a good day. I was trying to see myself with compassion. Then the boss started in again, and I was back to feeling like I was worthless. Yeah. So the like the question, and I think you say it many times, is I, I almost had the urge for you know people to use this with their therapist. Or I even had the urge that people would do this as a group. <laughs> so that, because I've yes. seen groups, groups help each other and say, well, you know what? The fact that it didn't go good on Monday doesn't mean it's not going to go good on Tuesday. That is your big, one of the biggest things you say in here is if you're really going to retrain your brain, you have to go keep going back to the book to read the positives, to really practice thinking it and then feeling it differently. Yes. Yes, that's right, to return over and over, because it really is, and I mean this for all of us, I think the, the things that the book focuses on are really skills that we practice throughout our lives, recognizing mm-hmm. our thoughts, challenging our thoughts, doing the kinds of things that, that keep us feeling well. So, so yes, I, I love the idea of people supporting each other doing this, and one of the things that I'd like to do at some point with this book is have a way of organizing a kind of of um, some way for people to come together and to go through the book together and support each other because I do think that could be invaluable. You know, people could share the things that work well for them, could share their struggles and really help each other along the way. It'd be interesting to think about an online group. Um, yes. I think it yeah. could be great. Yeah, it could a be. Forum it of could, sorts. Yeah, or a forum. Well, now when you get, and I think this applies, what I liked is when when. Folks reading this, you're going to come to week five, and then all of a sudden it's going to be time and task management. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, I thought, well, doesn't this make sense? Because when we are depressed and anxious, usually we're having trouble with time and task management, which only fuels our feeling 
I'm worthless, I'm too anxious, I don't even get there, I'm so worried in the morning, so that you address and give people some really wonderful suggestions, I think that would help them see behaviors shift and if behavior, if I actually wash the dishes before I go to work Mm. or I actually do my laundry on a weekly basis, I actually start to feel a little bit more in charge and then I feel less like a loser and then I might feel less depressed. That's exactly right. I I think of time and task management as as really an extension of self-love. You know, we often often think of self-love as just trying to, you know, feel a certain way about yourself or take, take care of yourself. And I, I think it's, there, there are a few things more important than, than being able to take care of the things that we need to for exactly the reasons that you're saying. So we, we see ourselves being competent, being productive, and, and those things are definitely more challenging when we're anxious, when we're depressed. And so it's not so much about telling ourselves we have to do more, but again, with the CBT approach, figuring out what we need to do, breaking it down, making it very systematic, making it organized, having a plan, following that plan, and, and getting, really getting down to the, you know, as granular as we need to be in order to make that happen. If something seems too big to get started, we just break it down until we know that we can tackle a, a manageable piece of it. Well, I love the kind of questions you say, which is, what would make doing this easier? What would motivate you? A reward, do, whether it's doing it to music, doing it with someone else. How do you build in accountability? Mm-hmm. Um, are you keeping a chart? Are you calling a friend who's also doing her dishes? It's, mm-hmm. it's, I think there's a tendency in this culture where we're, we eat Big Macs and we do everything big to forget that small is big when we're making changes. It is, yes, and, and it's big in, in either direction. So sometimes someone will, will finish something, you know, will do something that we had planned in session. They go home and do it, and they come back the next week and say, yeah, I did it, but it wasn't a big deal. Right. And I'll ask them, well, what, what would, have, would, would it have been a big deal not to do it? And, and usually the answer is yes, it would, be, it would be a huge deal not to do it, because even though it's a small thing, not doing it just reinforces that the avoidance and also the way of seeing myself as someone who avoids and so, so, yes, it's a great point. I think these, even a small thing, there's, there's really not a small accomplishment when we're building our lives back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think um, using your own voice, we all have voices of parents or bosses or whoever who are saying, no big deal, what's the big deal? But it, once you take charge, the book invites you to take charge it is a big deal because you just set out this plan to do it, and whether someone else thinks it's big or not, doing it gives you momentum. Yes, yes, and as my uh, former supervisor said, it's hard to it's hard to overstate the value of momentum. Just just <laughs> getting started, you know, and yeah. versus coming to starting from a dead stop, much harder for all of us, I think. I've used the expression with doctoral students who are blank on writing a paper or dissertation. The expression is break the cellophane. That is just take a pad out, write any thought you have, and then plan to go for a walk or run, go see a movie. But a funny thing happens when you break the cellophane, and that is you're in it. So that the chances of you going back are much greater. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I love that. that uh, that's a nice expression, break the cellophane. 
I think a lot of times we wait until we know, we, or we, we imagine, well, I'll, I'll get started on that thing once I know how I'm going to do it. Right, I'm not sure right. how it's going to go. I'll just wait until I know. But we usually don't know until we start, and so we get stuck in that catch-22. Impossible to know. As soon as you're in it, the anxiety drops because, for one thing, you've stopped procrastinating. Yes. Uh, um, you know, and then then you're someone in it, and it, whether it's holiday shopping, whether it's, um, you know, uh, what you're going to do about the house or whether it's you're going to look for a new job, uh, it's the start that really matters. I think that you said that a great deal in this, that just yes. get started. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Just get started. And, and once we decide to start, like you said, um, so much of the work is done just deciding I'm going to do this. And I think that's true for this this program as well. Just deciding I'm going to tackle a, a workbook like this I think is a big part of the, uh, the process. Well, the very fact that you're going to pick up a book like this to learn how to manage anxiety or depression gives you the benefit of knowing I am doing something for myself that's positive. And certainly, and I'm going to tell listeners, you're going to learn. I mean, and information reduces anxiety and really makes you feel more of a sense of mastery. Mm. Yes, and, and I think having, I think part of the value of therapy is is having that structure, knowing once a week I'm going to be sitting down, I'm, right. I'm, someone's going to be asking me how things went, and, and knowing that it's coming up, knowing that I'm in therapy, then helps that momentum to continue. And I, and I think having a workbook can be the same kind of thing, giving it that structure. I mean, who doesn't want to be more productive, to manage their thoughts, to do rewarding activities? We all want to do those things. And yet if we don't have some kind of structure in place, it's so easy for those to, to stay wishes rather than actually turning into action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important point. Now, we're going to take a brief break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about something you, you really underline as important And I can think of loads of cases, I'll even give you one for myself when we come back, of facing fears. One of the things, Seth, that I think you you make clear is if we continue to avoid a fear, and that always gives us some relief, there is no way we're going to conquer it. Mm. That somehow, and I know I, I want so much for our listeners to hear you talk about how do we face fears when they're terrifying for us. Um, how do we even manage? Some some people say to I me, mean, even the thought of it, I can't bear. So we're going to take a brief break, and we're going to come back and talk about facing the fears. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Seth Gillahan, his latest book, Retrain Your Brain, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in Seven Weeks, a workbook for managing depression and anxiety. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. 
Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. Um, We have a great show today. We've been speaking to Dr. Seth Gillahan. And he's really been giving us the steps which are laid out in his workbook. It's a workbook for managing depression and anxiety. And the title is Retrain Your Brain, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in Seven Weeks. And one of the essential core of this is how do we face our fears when we're anxious? And Dr. Gillahan, I wonder if we could talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's one of the most challenging things that, that people tackle. And, if, you know, if we go back to that cognitive behavioral model, you know, the, the fear is really uh, kept there in place through, usually through avoidance. So if I'm, if I'm afraid of something, let's say I'm afraid of, uh, I'll make it simple, it's, I'm afraid of a certain kind of animal, I'm afraid of spiders, um, the, the kind you, know, you usually see around the house. If I avoid them all the time, then I never get to find out what happens if I actually get close to one. You know, so I might, I might be left with this belief that if I, you know, if I get closer than you know, six feet to that, to that spider, then it's going to jump on me, it's going to attack me, it's going to bite me, it's going to do something to me. So the, the challenge in CBT is to find ways gradually to move toward the thing that we fear so that that fear diminishes and and it diminishes I think a a big part of it is I give myself an opportunity to to learn something new that the thing that I'm afraid of usually doesn't happen now of course you know with the the usual caveats if something's actually dangerous then do the common sense thing and don't uh, don't go near it but but most of the time a person has a good sense of of what's actually dangerous and not Um, but we but we don't actually retrain our brains uh, by usually just by thinking about something, we have to to actually 
uh, approach it in real life to learn something meaningful. Now, here's one of the dilemmas my patients sometimes say to me. So, they can't get close to the spider, let's say, because they're afraid of being afraid. They're afraid they're going to feel such anxiety, Seth, that they're going to have an anxiety attack that's going to kill them. Mm -hmm. So, every time, if it's driving, every time we cross a certain line... Or if it's asking a friend out, just the thought of picking up the phone creates such anxiety that they then are avoiding this anxiety they feel. How do we help them with this? And that's such a common challenge. And there, there's a kind of grip that happens with that kind of fear that, you know, where if the, the fear is strong enough, we tend to shut down. It, it's right. almost outside of our control, you know, that we move away from something when we're really overwhelmed with fear. So the, uh, there, there are a number of, of parts that go into it, uh, but one of, one of the big things we do, like with, with so much of CBT, is we, we break things down into more manageable chunks. So uh, you know, maybe, there's, maybe the thing that you're really terrified of is, is beyond what you can do now, but is there something that, you know, can, can, we, can we dial that down a little by doing a, a different behavior? And maybe it's uh, with the, the spider example, maybe it's you know, getting three feet uh, close to the spider, uh, rather than you know actually being right next to the spider. So there, that's that's one important part of it. At the same time, I think there there has to be, to some extent, a, a level of acceptance built into it. Acceptance of this is not going to feel comfortable at first. Yes, it's mm-hmm. going to feel more comfortable eventually. And and between uncomfortable and more comfortable might be might be even more discomfort initially. So. So I'm. I have to be willing to go through that anxiety in order to get on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You do say embrace the discomfort. So if I can be three feet away, I'm okay. But if I move two feet away, I immediately go back to three feet because I can't stand the feeling. And you're saying we've got to find a way to get two and a half feet. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can tolerate the discomfort or you're going to get locked in at that three foot and never move beyond it. That's right. And, and if a person is satisfied with that, if they say, you know what, this is, this is as good as it gets for me, the cost of getting close to that spider is not worth the, whatever I would gain from it, mm-hmm. then, then that's it. But, uh, but most of the time, we're not, we're not satisfied leaving that fear in place. We, we want to we wanna go... Um, Further than that, we want to actually conquer the fear and not not kind of make a, like make a truce with it. Well, especially if it's fear of speaking up at the at the the corporate meeting when you know that's important for your career, or fear of driving when you know that means socializing can happen. So you know, there's often a wish, there's a real goal in mind, and it's very 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 you know upsetting to someone to feel. They're too anxious to go that next step. The way one of the things you're doing with CBT is really breaking it down to manageable, but not so manageable that you have no anxiety. I think that's what you're saying. There's got to be a little anxiety to keep moving. That's right. Yeah, if it's something that's important to us, there's there's almost certainly going to be some anxiety involved. And what's the expression? Um, courage is courage is not the absence of fear, but the right. judgment that something's more important and. And so, for yeah, if it's whether it's a, a 
a job or um, you know having a date or you know in my own my own life not too long ago I had to have a medical procedure done and I had to get a CAT scan beforehand I'm not crazy about being in those in the small space of a right. CAT scan but what are you going to do you know you need to have these things done and of course on another level what am I going to do avoid something that makes me anxious when I'm encouraging so many people to do the opposite so so and and once I decided I I realized well I'm just going to do this. Like it's not a question of of doing it or mm-hmm. not doing it. That cut a lot of the anxiety because it's like, mm-hmm. all right, it's going to worst case scenario, I'm going to feel anxious. It's going to be uncomfortable. Right. It's not going to be better than that, and it's not going to be worse than that. So there is really this this level of uh, of acceptance, and and oftentimes in my work, I'll explicitly um, incorporate some mindfulness based approaches, whether it's meditation or uh, you really accepting uncertainty and, and discomfort in the service of something that we value. One thing you say in the book, which I want to underscore, because I use mindfulness also with people and the importance of breathing, is that the breathing is not intended to make the anxiety disappear, but rather to help us manage through something that may be anxiety-producing. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, and it's a, it's a, it can be a subtle distinction, but I think a really crucial one because it's a, almost a universal response. If you give someone and tell them, use this so you don't feel anxious, then there becomes anxiety about, is this going to work? I mean, even if it's a, you know, an, an anti-anxiety medication, I know some people feel like, well, I don't want to use this because what if I take it and I still feel anxious? Right. So if we come at it with, this is a way to help you manage, regardless of what the anxiety does, you can, can control your, where your attention goes, you can can focus on the breath. Then it's a different mm. setup. Well, what I want you to do, and I'm going to ask you to give our listeners uh, give a take home message to our listeners. But let's just stop for a minute and ask: um, How would they get to your book? How would our listeners get to you? You blog. You have other books. Um, what can they go to to find you, Seth? Great. So my website is uh, just my first and last name dot com. Seth Gillahan. Dot com. Uh, I also have a blog on psychology today, the Think, Act, Be blog, Think for Cognitive, Act for Behavioral, and Be for Mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the, the book's available on, on Amazon and um, other online uh, bookstores and, and in bookstores. Um, is there something and else you asked that cover it? Yeah, and and really can be used in concert with going to therapy as a step before therapy or really is going to give you some skills and make some sense of what's going on for you. That is, it's definitely going to help you break down a global feeling of being anxious or or depressed and not knowing what to do. There's too much good that's still within your reach that you can use. And I think that's one of the gifts of the books. It's going to demystify um, suffering in some way and give you some skills. Um, what would you like to share? What would you say the take-home message should be for our listeners, Seth? Yeah, I, I think the main take-home is that we all need to plan uh, ways that we have remi- <clears throat> excuse me, reminders in our lives to, to do the things that keep us feeling well, to think in ways that are healthy for us, um, and, um, and really to build in these reminders because as you were suggesting early on today, it's, it's so easy to, uh, 
to move away from things that are good for us, even when we know full well what those things are. So I think putting those structures in place is so crucial. Mm. I want to thank you for coming on the show, Dr. Gillahan. I think your book, Retrain Your Brain, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy in Seven Weeks, a workbook for managing depression and anxiety, is a real gift. I think it's something almost anybody could benefit from. You'll enjoy it. It will give you many, many good ideas. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your book with our audience. Well, Suzanne, thanks so much for all of your your kind remarks, and it's really nice to talk with you again. Look forward to doing it again, I hope. Thanks so much. I want to thank my listeners. Remember that this show and any prior show can be heard as a podcast on my host site. By this evening, this show will be a podcast, and it'll be on iTunes, on your iPhone, under the podcast app, on my website. It'll be on Dr. Gillahan's website. Um, on Voice America's website, so you have plenty of access to it. Um, In addition, drop me a comment or a question about anything you heard today at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly, until next week, please take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.